should have covered long ago but haven't gotten around to yet it's in three years how have we not thought of doing this movie yeah we are discussing the wizard of oz today and we're going to kind of discuss a lot of around it um we're definitely going to go into some of the spin-offs some of the tie-ins you know we've never had an official sequel interestingly enough yeah so i mean this one has there's all kinds of reasons to make this one an interesting cast um and uh as with last week, if you hear noises in the background, well, there's a baby <laughs> in the room, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as we kick off on this movie, uh, let's begin by just kind of covering, I mean, do you remember when the first time you were aware of this movie was? Yeah, it was when I was very, very, very young. My first memories of it are actually kind of weird, because it comes in the, like, even though I, I knew... Like, I know that I knew about this movie beforehand, and I had seen this movie beforehand, but my very first memory of it was actually a reference in an Energizer commercial. Huh. Do you, do you remember that commercial? Mm, very faintly, yes. Yeah, it's the one, it's a very clever series of commercials. It's, uh, the Energizer bunny is facing off against the Wicked Witch, and she, like, has her... She has, like, a broom lit or something like that. She's raising it up to strike, and then the broom hits a sprinkler system, and, well, the results yeah. are predictable. Yeah. Then the Energizer Bunny goes on. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Energizer batteries keep going. I mean, in my case, certainly I grew up. I mean, my family had it on video. It was one that was just constantly around. It was one that constantly surrounded us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just sort of was always omnipresent. It was always there, is the best way to put it. Um, and I think that's kind of how it is for a lot of people. For a lot of people, this movie was just always sort of something they grew up on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that's probably the right way to do it. It's very much an American fairy tale. Good way to describe it. You know, it it really is. It's very much drawn from American folklore. It has uh, uh, heavy influences in, uh, you know, the stories of, you know... I mean, you can't get past the fact that it's a a story about a peasant girl who starts off in the farmlands of uh, Kansas. Kansas. I mean, it's... 
doesn't get much more American than that. Um, the virtues that it preaches are very strongly American, including lying for good reasons. Yeah. This is a movie that has endured for decades. I mean, it's came out in 1939, that fabled year. Um, but, by the way, while we're, while we're on Kansas, let me just note that I live right on the border between Missouri and Kansas. That is true. And the Kansas Tourism Board heavily uses Wizard of Oz in their advertising. Yeah, I would imagine they would. Yeah, which I've always thought was funny because the movie is all about getting away from Kansas. Yeah, it's not really a love letter to Kansas. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. You know, some some quick background on the film. Um, it's based, first of all, this was in no way the first attempt to film the story. Not by a long shot. There were many movies. I mean, they started doing movies based on this about as soon as they were doing films um l frank Baum even did one of them himself really yeah it's it's been a, it's a multiple times film story um hmm. it, it's it's one that you know um of course a little bit of background on the books uh Baum was very much someone who was just kind of trying to make a quick buck he, he he unashamedly churned out the books um in an effort to make a quick buck he tried to end the series at one point it wouldn't um, no, everybody rejected everything else he did. Um, he, he's only done a few things outside. He only did like one or two books outside of Oz that anybody even read. Uh, one of which was a biography of Santa Claus. So that should kind of show you. <laughs> Baum was very much not, artistic merit was not what drove him. It was very much money. Again, doesn't get much more American than that, does it? <laughs> yeah. I have actually... I've actually read the book twice in my life. Yeah, it's an excellent book. It's it's really a superb piece of writing. I, I do have to give him that. It, it, and it's also a, it's also very different from the movie. Very, very different. Very different. Um, there is actually I did actually so I see a, a cartoon adaptation of it that was closer to the book. Yeah, that was interesting. But no one really wants closer to the book. No one wants that. What they want is the iconography of the uh, 1939 film. Let's talk a little bit about that movie's production. If the internet had existed in 1939, this movie would be seen as an epic disaster in the offing. They recast pretty much every single role on the film multiple times. I think everybody knows about the famous uh, story behind Tin Man and the makeup. Yeah, but he wasn't the only one. I mean, that was not... They... They couldn't decide how they wanted to play the Wicked Witch, for example. Like, there were initial ideas that were going to have her as a, a very attractive, uh, glamorous figure. And there are makeup tests that exist of that. Uh, there are... I mean, they did. They... The movie went through no less than three or four directors. I think it went as, through as many as five directors. It was a disaster of a production. Nobody got along. Nobody was happy during it. What more really need be said than that Judy Garland was involved and her life was just an absolute tragedy? Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Her life was a sad, sad story and it really uh, kicked into high gear here. Yeah, Garland did not have a good time on the making of the film. She was, of course, much older than the character was written as and that was kind of awkward. Mm. Uh, they had to bind her, for example. That was one thing they had to do. Yeah, just for example. I mean, because she was like 16 when the movie was shot. Um, 
very much not the uh, character, you know, the age that the character is written as. Um, as I said, disaster of a production. And surprisingly enough, not actually a big box office hit in 1939. I, I know everybody I thinks it. of it as one. It actually only was a modest performer. Um, what really kicked it into gear was video. Hmm, that makes a lot of sense. Now, now you have to keep in mind, we say it was a modest performer. You know what else came out that year? Gone with the Wind. Ah, which was a monster hit, as everyone knows. Which is, uh, adjusted for inflation, the highest grossing film in cinema history. Easily. Yeah, and no, nobody has been able to top it, ever. No, ever. Nobody will ever touch it. It's, it's a record that will stand forever. So, you... You know, so let's be clear, the standards for what a huge hit was, I mean, by any definition, I'm sure that if the film was released today with those numbers, it would still be an epic hit. What's really pushed it up through the years is the countless re-releases, including as recently as just a few years ago, they did a 3D re-release of it. They did. That's one I that's one I missed. And I heard for the record, I heard it was a fantastic remastering. Um, Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, Uh... like post converting a film from 1940 jeez yeah i mean we give post conversion a lot of crap but um honestly if you know what you're doing you can make it look better than if you shot native 3d i mean again jurassic park is a prime example post converted looks fantastic uh so yeah, so it's so it, it's uh, you know it's been pointed out by the way that the 3D re-release really highlights the artifice of the film, and there's no denying it's definitely a very stagey-looking film. Yeah, and that's quite intentional, I'm sure. I mean, again, we don't have to go through. Let's not waste our time with the plot. Everybody's seen it. Yeah, everybody's seen it. We all know the story. Everybody knows. It is, but yeah, it's, it is a very stagey-looking film, and I think that's actually one of the real virtues of the film. Um, this was one of the first movies to really use color. To really... Yeah. I mean, and that was, that was something that they went through during the production and did everything they could to play up the color in it. Uh, that was their big special effect that they had. For reference, uh, what, what year was the first color film... Well, honestly, they were doing color tinting from the word go, so it's kind of hard to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, my my uh, first film professor, uh, Todd Norris, hi, Todd, had a story they told me a long time ago about a guy who uh, swore up and down as a kid they saw Dracula, uh, and he remembers those green eyes. They may, and, It's very likely that that was something that was done. Yeah, and everybody... Everybody that you talk to is like, what are you talking about? Because that film is black and white. It's like, no, I swear to God. And then he saw an article at one point that talked about, you know, film tinting and the fact that they hand-colored in, like, frames of film mm-hmm. for effect. And it's like, ah, I knew it. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm sure that was something that was done. I mean, this movie was actually shot Technicolor, um, and boy, did they plan it out. I mean, they, this movie was intended to be visually stunning, and it, it really, it still looks it fantastic. It still is. I mean, it still is a great-looking movie. Um, you know, it's worth noting, we think of the opening scenes as being in black and white. They're really not. That's really not actually the color tinting that they have. Uh, they're sepia. Really? Yeah, they're sepia. 
Mm, that's right. It is, yeah, and, it? That, and that's something that's really made clear in the 1998 re-release, um, which my sister uh, went to see. Um, I missed it, but uh, yeah, uh, the, it, it is. It, it, it was absolutely a sepia-toned shot. You're, yeah, you're absolutely right, which, hey, is a form of color. So the film is essentially 100% in color. Yeah, very much so. And, I mean, it gives the griminess of Kansas a really good look. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I mean, as I said, it, it's, it's a gorgeous-looking film, and that starts there. You, you can't underestimate how powerful those shots are. Uh, they give it, you know, they give it a, a grounded quality, honestly. That's the funny thing. The sepia tones actually give it a realistic, you-are-there quality, and that's interesting to me. Uh, it, it's an effect of how color works for us, and I think it's largely because we're used to the sepia shots of that era. We're used to Depression-era shots looking like that, and the movie kind of reinforces that. Um, but, I mean, you, you have those early shots, and it, again, they look good. Garland's performance, of course, this is a good time to talk about it because it's... You know, this is where she really, you know, this is where you get the somewhere over the rainbow moment. It's a shame about her life because she is fantastic in the film. I mean, she does give a great performance. And she really does sell this idea of someone who wants something more in her life. Now, they they aged the character up from the books, but they still, but I, but you know, she's still a little young. Honestly, if they played it at Garland's actual age, I think it would have been very effective. Because that would be someone who would really be wanting something more out of life. So, I mean, you have that. You have that element of the film. And that's always been very effective to me. Of course, this is also where you get one of the big gimmicks of the movie, which is the double casting. Double casting? Yes. That most of the actors in Oz are played by uh, actors you see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Can I, like, jump to the end and say that I hate the ending of this movie? (laughs) <laughs> she got quite a bump on the head. We kind of thought there for a minute she was going to leave us. Oh, but I man. did leave you, Uncle Henry. That's just the trouble. And I tried to get back for days and days. There, there. Lie quiet now. You just had a bad dream. Sure. Remember me? Your old pal, Hunk? Oh. <laughs> me? <laughs> Hickley? You couldn't forget my face, could you? But it wasn't a dream. It was a place. And you, and you... And you were there. Oh, sure. But you couldn't have been, could you? I hate the ending of this movie. To me, the ending of this movie almost destroys it. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what, we'll get we'll get back to it when we get towards the end of the movie. But I'm just going to get that out there right now. I hate the gimmick. I hate the idea. I hate the whole dream thing. I hate it. But, hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, you do have that double casting with characters who fill similar roles in uh, Oz. You know, it's all setting up. And, of course, this is a device that's been stolen over and over again for movies. Oh, God, yeah. God, how many movies? Uh, Labyrinth does it really interestingly. Uh, Yeah. Labyrinth does it in a way that's really kind of creepy and unsettling, actually. Yeah. Isn't that movie subtly supposed to be about pedophilia? There's a hard theme of it, um, especially with the idea that um, David Bowie's character is supposed to represent um, her mother's boyfriend, which is something I did not actually catch on to until recently. I'm not all that bright. Uh, (laughs) 
but yeah, I mean, if you, uh, there are clues embedded in the movie that that's who he's supposed to be. Boy, that's, oh my God, those pants, wow. dude, those pants. Ugh, Rest in God. peace, sir, but those yeah. goddamn pants. Yeah. So <laughs> tight. Oh my God. Very disturbing. But yeah, I mean, like, but I mean, that device, that gimmick would be stolen over and over again for countless movies. Um, Including, we are going to touch on the Sam Raimi movie because I have so many thoughts on it. We're going to get there. Oh, God. Yeah. We're going to yeah. get to that unfortunate effort. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, the movie does, it does steal. Uh, you know, that gimmick was stolen. You have the idea that, okay, the storm comes, she's transported. Then you get that amazing shot of her landing in uh, getting there, Munchkin's. You got the whole munchkins, all that. Again, we all know you know the story. Oh, yeah. This is a good point to talk about the music in this movie. Can you really criticize the music in this movie? I mean, is that even possible? I don't think so. Everything is so iconic. Like, it's... uh, uh, The movie is a straight-up musical. No denying. It is. Almost all the actors were hired as, you know, musical talent... uh, we can't get away from the, the parodies of this film, so I'm just going to s- take this opportunity to say my favorite parody of the Munchkinland bit is Futurama. Yeah. Uh, who are you people? Haven't I seen you in some copyrighted movie? We resemble but are legally distinct from the lollipop to the lollipop. <laughs> in fact, that's Futurama might be just my favorite. Wizard of Oz parody period just because everything winds up so perfectly yeah it, it really it's hard to argue that one um, I don't know what my favorite parody is because there's just been too many too many there's just been way too many so that's kind of how I'm going to go about it I mean but yeah I mean the Futurama one is great um, as I said you can't even really you can't criticize the music because even if you don't like it it's so iconic it's so classic that you have to acknowledge that it obviously works. Right. But it is great music. I mean, the, it, it, the, the, the musical numbers do a great job of exposition. That's heavily, I noticed, what the musical numbers do, is they give character exposition. They give plot exposition. They're exposition moments. Yeah, it's, it's the best way to move the plot along uh, without having to take up way too much time. Yeah. We, we come to know the characters. We come to know... Who they are again? Somewhere over the rainbow is just such a perfect. You understand this character immediately when she, when it's done. You know who uh, Dorothy Gale is. You understand her. It's the "I Want" song, that classic trope. And honestly, this is probably the "Er I Want" song. Like this is probably the first classic "I Want This" song. And I mean, it's great. Again, it's it's fantastic. Um, what, what 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 do you say? I mean, the same with the "If I Only Had a Heart" and uh, uh, the Lion Song, and "If I Only Had a Brain." If I only had a brain, uh, yeah. yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's what I meant. <laughs> I know Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I mean that in that moment again, you know these characters and you know who they are. You know, since we're on that. Um, one of my favorite things about this movie is the idea that these characters are searching for things that they already have. That is an interesting and kind of 
really it's kind of a, a bold satirical idea that you know riffing on the idea of the quest because it's always about characters going to get something and this is the first movie that really cemented the trope of going to look for what you already have you know the scarecrow is a smart guy the uh tin man is a kind soul um the cowardly lion does have courage and strength and the idea is that these characters are looking for what they already have. That's an interesting idea. And it's an idea that it's a little bit subversive to the tropes that we had. Now, of course, it became a standard trope. Again, so many tropes that this movie codified really were subversive at the time. And it's kind of funny that you have that. Um, but, you know, and they're great characters. Who of the three is your favorite? Who of the three is your favorite? Well, I would probably have to go with Scarecrow. Yeah. Same. I mean, he's he's funny. He's the yeah. he's the funny one. He he's the likable one. He's the he's he's the goofy one. He he's fun. I, I how do you not enjoy him? He's awesome. Yeah. Also, he's tough. You can uh, uh, like aside from burning him, which will which obviously he's afraid of. You know, I think he gets the straw knocked out of him a couple places in the movie, and he just puts it back in and keeps going. Yeah, and he's strong. Again, fun character. Yeah, and the makeup is f fantastic on the characters. I mean, we got to note that. The makeup still looks great. Um, th they look like fully formed, rich characters. Um, even though, you know, and that's interesting. The makeup is so good when the rest of the film is so laden with artifice. I mean, the mood, the sets always look like sets. Let's be clear. They always look like sets. And that's a wonderful thing about the movie. That sort of pseudo-real quality. It's it's nice that it's a heightened quality of realism. I like that about the movie. I think that's part of the reason that the movie endures is because it's so easy. Is because it's a movie that's so transparently aware that it's a movie, and we're always in on that. That's fun. I dig that about the movie. I I dig, and the sets do look great. Let's not even though as I said they're obviously sets. They're gorgeous looking. I mean, the design on this movie, the the effort that went into this movie's production values is clear even with the multiple directors and you know lack of any cohesive vision still a good looking yeah. movie i mean this film survived you know to, despite its production yeah well movies often do i mean the godfather is one of the most notoriously disastrous productions uh jaws would be dead in the water if the director hadn't decided you know what we're going to shoot around the shark right and for that, he was rewarded with the greatest career a director has ever had in the history of cinema. So, go figure. Yeah, it's, it's always been my firm belief because, you know, Lord knows as an artist I have limitations, but part of my talent is working around those limitations to create something good. And I do, and I've always believed that limitations actually help creativity quite a bit. They do. They do. And that was, that was very much true. Um... Uh, on any production and it's true here i mean you know of course the movie is episodic you've got the multiple sequences you know the multiple threats and dangers that face these characters and i love that the movie does get legitimately scary in places i mean the flying monkeys are terrifying oh god yeah i think uh my my nephew saw it at one point and yeah he was i forgot which part he was scared of but i think it was the actual the uh the wizard yeah I mean, yeah, the movie does legitimately get scary in places, and that's kind of the fun of it. That's what makes it sort of a fun early movie for kids. It's an early first time to get scared by the way Lola is out. 
she is asleep. It is so cute. <laughs> out, out like a knight. Out like a little tiny knight. You just the cutest little baby. I really do love her so much. Um, but uh, you know, again, it's it's that's one of the fun things about the movie. It's legitimately scary in places. Uh, the atmosphere is great. Um, I mean, what what more do you say? I mean, it's just it's fantastic atmosphere. Uh, you've got the woods with the uh, trees that try to attack them. You've got the poppy field. You've got, I mean, these characters, the flying monkeys. You've got these characters face a lot. Um. And the flying monkeys are a hell of a special effect, I've just got to say. Oh god, yeah, they are. Let's be clear, money was put into this movie. Money was put into this movie all the way. Yeah. It's like, you don't you don't think about how, uh, just watching this movie, it's, it's such a spectacle. You don't uh, stop and think about, like, what went into that for that era. Mm-hmm. I mean, it... it... It's a spectacle. It really is a, spec- a spectacle of a movie, and it, God, it looks so good. Um, we got to talk about the villain. It occurs to me we haven't touched on the Wicked Witch. Margaret Ham- Yeah, the Wicked Witch of the West. Margaret Hamilton is so good in this movie. Worth noting, she is widely considered one of the classic examples of a uh, mean character, nice actor. Apparently, everybody was uh, terrible to Judy Garland on set except for her. Um, by, by all accounts, she was one of the nicest people, uh, on the set. Everybody who worked with her loved her. Uh, she was a former school teacher, actually. That was her background. And she creates such a great character in this movie. There's a reason this villain has endured all those years later. She's a great villain. I mean, there's no depth to her. She's evil. She's evil. She wants control. There's no depth. But it's such a wonderfully campy, over-the-top performance and the makeup is great on her. It's amazing makeup. Oh, yeah. We talk about, by the way, uh, the contrast that the color creates between, like, reality and fantasy and the fact that everything looks like a set and the fact they use the color as a gimmick. I think the modern-day equivalent to that would is actually kind of a failed attempt, which is... Um, when Peter Jackson tried to introduce 48 frames a second for The Hobbit, yeah, suddenly everything that was filmed looks completely fake. Yeah, we're not ready for that. Um, now I will say I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by uh, Ang Lee is doing 120 frames per second for his new movie. Really? But here's the thing: his new movie is also a war movie. Ah. He he's trying to capture realism. He's actually trying to capture reality. Um, also, it's Ang Lee, yeah. so I kind of think he's gonna figure. I'm, I kind of think he knows what the hell he's doing. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of gonna let Ang Lee do whatever the hell he wants to, uh, in terms of experimentation. I mean, he, he, he's, 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 he's given me no reason to think he won't do something amazing. So, but yeah, that's just for contrast. Lord of the Rings that doesn't work because, well, we're supposed to, we're supposed to believe this world exists. Mm-hmm. For Wizard of Oz, it's all up in the air. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all up in the air again. We'll get to the ending in a bit. Uh, But, I mean, it does have a very episodic storyline. Of course, we have to point out, this is not exactly the tightest structured movie. It's a journey story. That means that you could kind of shuffle some of the incidents and they would work just fine. But, of course, we all know what happens when they get to the wizard. They find out he's a con artist. And isn't that the most American of ideas? Yeah, the fact that he's kind of a self-made man in this world. He kind of got to the top by 
actually, you know, like, he's conning everybody. He is lying to everybody, saying, hey, he's an all-powerful, whatever. But at the same time, he has a talent of building things. Yeah. And making these illusions. So, <laughs> he conned his way to the top. Mm -hmm. Again, most American of ideas. Also, most American of ideas, a guy comes in and takes over the whole place, and this is considered a good thing. Yeah. Can anybody say white savior? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what the Wizard of Oz is. Gee, I haven't thought of it that way, but yeah. Think about it, he's a tall human, so he really is kind of the embodiment of a colonialist. Uh, he is. Boy, that that's just going to make it all the more fun when we get to dealing with the Sam Raimi film. Oh, God. Yeah, we're, we're going, believe me, we're kind of speeding through the original movie so that we can also get in touch on that. But I mean, again, but I love the, but I do love the character. I love the idea of him. I think it's an interesting idea, you know, this idea that he is this way. Um, you've also got, you know, say the defeat of the um, wicked witch. Yeah, water by water, and, and let's use this as a moment to briefly touch on wicked. Yeah, in the in the uh, book, uh, they really play up the idea that. You know, she is this, uh, you know, she's allergic to water, etc. Um, and they play up the, at one point there's a description of uh, the witch uh, bathing in oil. Hmm. And it is the most, the way that, you know, the way that it's described, it is the most oddly sexual image in the entire book, actually. W well, that's also the moment where the writer decides to inform you that, hey, actually in her youth she was very attractive. Hmm. Yeah, there's some... I have a lot of thoughts on Wicked as a book. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily think it works. I'm kind of mixed on it. I think it's just okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I'm not exactly racing out to see... If they ever do a movie version, I'm not racing out to see it, frankly. Yeah, I I have listened to... I listen to a lot of musicals. I listen to that one. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know is that I'm really too impressed with it, to be honest. It's okay. But, I mean, give me yeah. give me an Avenue Q movie instead. Yeah, please. That one I'm there for. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Wicked obviously has its fan base. I don't know. We're, we're, we're going to get to some of the other Oz-alikes, some of the Oz spinoffs in a bit. Uh, but, you know, you've got the death. And, again... The, the way this movie's ending is structured, it is kind of clumsy. I mean, because when the Wicked Witch is defeated, you've still got like two or three more endings to go. You've got her, you've got the uh, wizard uh, go going away, you've got, I mean, there's just, yeah. Uh, something that I've always kind of loved uh, about that ending <laughs> is that, like, just kind of how ridiculous it's. It is. It is. But then again, you know, it's it's supposed to be fantasy, but it's like, okay, so he they expose him as a fraud, mm -hmm. and the next the next thing we get after they you know talk to him and he hands out the you know the what they're seeking, which of course they had all along, and then the next and then the next thing is you know he's in the middle of a crowd. Uh, in a weather balloon about to take off and everybody's cheering. It's like, they obviously don't care that he's been a major fraud this entire time. And that their government has just collapsed. That's right. And that their leader is leaving them in the lurch. 
I mean, true, they've just installed a new leader, but still, I mean, their government has collapsed. Uh, yeah, there's a lot wrong with that ending, isn't there? I mean, besides which, you really expect me to believe people are going to be okay with a scarecrow as their leader? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, one thing that was pointed out on the 3D re-release is that uh, the a line that Dorothy has about when she uh, tells the scarecrow, I'll miss you most of all, the 3D makes it clear that she's leaning into him. It's supposed to be a secret. She's not supposed to be shouting it to everybody. It's just the way that it's framed, but it is made kind of clear with the 3D that she's supposed to be leaning in and telling him that. That's something that the 3D amplifies. Hmm. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that is. I, I think that's a neat that's a neat trick of the 3D. Um, again, I didn't get to see it. I've only heard about it. Uh, it played for a week uh, in Little Rock, and I was too busy with the. I was too busy with my girlfriend. That's the truth. Yeah, that's understandable. That's the truth. Uh, yeah, and look where that and look where that relationship got us. <laughs> you have a byproduct of it sitting right yes, beside you. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. She is. Oh, Lola's just being so cute right now. She's so pink right now. It's killing me. <laughs> She's like a little strawberry. She is so pink. But I mean, it's yeah. I mean, you, you have that ending, and it's kind of awkward. And then of course you get to the whole. Up, oh, she clicks her heels. Turns out it was all a dream. Next. <laughs> the best the best joke I've seen on that is a comic uh, where she, where Glinda tells her that. It's like, oh, you've had the power to go home all along. Just click your heels. Dorothy looks at her slippers for a sec, looks up at Glinda, and then just socks her in the face. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of those, uh, you're cheating. You could have told me this all along. Right. To be fair, it goes with the theme of, oh, you had it in you all along, but... That's just outright cheating. At the same, at the same time, yeah. I mean, that's just cheating. That's just cheating the viewer. It's just, yeah, that doesn't work. It's like, here, just just go go defeat my sister, then, uh, then I'll tell you the secret. Yeah. Yeah, hold you hostage. Low-key. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Yeah, you used me. That's why it's not surprising that some of the, uh, uh, versions that have come after de depict Glinda as a villain. Doesn't take much work to do it. Yeah. It does not. So you've got that ending, and then of course you get to the ending that I really want to rant about. Let's be clear, in the original book, it was not all a dream. Right. In the original book, Oz was real. Oz was very, very, very real. And that's how you were able to get multitudes of novels afterwards, was because Oz was real. I kind of feel like that ending kind of explains why we didn't get a franchise back in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. That ending kind of nips it in the bud, but no, let's be clear. In the original books, Oz was real. It was very explicitly real. Many of the adaptations that uh, you've referenced do make it real. And I prefer that ending, frankly. Of course, this is an ending that's been referenced by countless people, including uh, Guillermo del Toro did it with... Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, though Del Toro has actually been, that's an ending that everybody refers to as ambiguous. Del Toro has actually been pretty blunt about what actually happened. Yeah, yeah, he's actually on interviews, he said, look, you can interpret it how you want to, but my interpretation is that it was real. That wasn't just all in the little girl's yeah, head. Yeah, that's Del Toro's interpretation. I'm going to go with his interpretation. I like that interpretation. I prefer Which is a happy ending. If you, if you look at it 
from any other way, it's really kind of nihilist. Yeah. I prefer Del Toro's ending. I totally mm. prefer his ending all the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I love that movie so much. That's a movie that turns 10 this year, and oh, it's just fantastic. Oh, it does. Holy shit. You want to feel really old? Go look what, Go look at what the girl who, uh, what the lead actress in that looks like now. You will feel so... Oh, I, I believe I have seen yeah, that. Yeah, you will feel so old. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow, she, uh, she aged. Yeah. Um, God, I, that's such a great movie. That's when we need to do an episode on at some point, definitely. Um, we do. Uh, but, God, I... This whole thing, I mean, this whole story is... It's it's wild. It, it's a wild... St- uh, it's an ending that, again, I don't like. And I don't like it because it really does kind of cheat the viewer. It kind of says, oh, nothing you saw mattered. So, l- let me ask right. you, what's your least favorite It Was All a Dream ending? Because cinema is loaded with them. What's your least favorite? Least favorite, it's all a dream. Well, that one I'd have to think about. Oh, I don't have to think about it. Oh, I have one ready. I'm going to go with good old North as my choice for the worst It Was All a Dream ending. Because that movie... North, oh, sh- God, that ending is such a middle finger to the viewer. Completely. That ending is such a... I mean, and that's a movie that is just a giant screw you to the viewer no matter what. I mean... Yeah. You come to realize, if it was all a dream and that's all in that kid's head, then that kid is an asshole. That mm-hmm. kid is a self-righteous, egotistical asshole. Pretty much. God, there's so much wrong with that. Movie. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, this this TV tropes thing I'm looking up cites the science of sleep and Pins Labyrinth as examples of these. I don't believe either of those really count. Well, no, Science of Sleep is about dreaming. I mean... It is. I love that film to death. Yeah. Uh, and, again, Pan's Labyrinth, you can interpret it multiple ways, but I, I I, mean, I kind of feel like if the guy that wrote and directed it says one thing, I'm going to go on ahead and go with him as Word of God. Yeah. These are all... This is, this is citing all good movies. This is not helping. Oh, like, where are some of the ones that it cites? It cites, like, uh, uh, Vanilla Sky and The Matrix and um, Time Bandits. Well, okay, The Matrix, it's, the Matrix, it was all a dream, isn't really accurate. Uh, Time Bandits, it's strongly implied it wasn't all a dream. Time Bandits makes it kind of, kind of clear it wasn't all a dream. Yeah, that has a very Terry Gilliam ending. Yeah, Vanilla Sky is an interesting one. I... Oh God, I have so many thoughts on Vanilla Sky. That's 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 one I would love to do an episode on because I want to praise that movie as hard as I can. The worst one I can on this list, and it's one that I haven't technically seen, so I cannot cite it for myself as my least favorite of this trope: Twilight Breaking Dawn. Oh part two. God, the ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a. The ultimate. Oh, I had seen ultimate. it. I mean, I mean, I've seen it with uh, the Rift Tracks edition, of course. It is a giant middle finger to the viewer. Oh, it is such a flip of the bird to the viewer. It. I mean, it's just. In fact, it is great. The Rift, tra- the way that they respond to it on the Rift Tracks, is glorious. Because they're just like, what. They're horrified by it. It's great. Oh, God. Uh, so bad. So, so, so bad. Yeah. 
again, I don't think it's particularly good here. But yeah. I, but that's mostly because again, it kind of takes away the fun of the idea of the movie. I prefer the fantasy. I mean, if it's all unreal, if it's all fake, then why make it that much more fake is how I feel. Yeah. It's not a good ending. But it doesn't tarnish the film. It doesn't destroy it. And it's just sort of a bad ending. That's it. Nothing more. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's my that's my thought on that. Do you have anything that uh, you wanted to say about the film proper before we uh, go on to some of the spinoffs? Well... Like everybody, I quoted a lot. Yeah, it's so quotable. It's one of the most quotable films of its era. Uh, it, I have it on Blu-ray. It still looks stunning. The tornado was supposedly made out of cotton, but you could not tell. It's, it's a great effect. It is a fantastic effect. It's an effect that was obviously made by people that knew what tornadoes looked like. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. It's To this day, I am just freaked out by you know i haven't since childhood freaked out by the possibility of a tornado and just that uh sequence gives me goosebumps when you live where we live the thought of a tornado wiping a town out isn't a fantasy so much as it's something you've seen multiple times in your life yeah it's yeah it's like every time there's a uh, i'm usually like more often than not i'll be elsewhere during a tornado like especially now since I work nights, we had a we had a tornado warning two weeks ago today. Uh, while I was at work, like we had to go in the hall and well, for like half an hour. Yeah, it was fun, and it's you know all all I can think of at those times is I hope I have a home to come to. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, which you know in the back of your mind is not likely that that will happen, but at the same time, it's like. Mm. Wind, wind damage will really screw things up in Arkansas. I'm just going to say, it really will. So, yeah, it's it's a hard reality for us. Um, anyway, that's that's pretty much all I have to say on the film. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's one, we know you've seen it. It, deserve, it deserves its classic status, is, is the central point that I think I want to hammer home. It absolutely deserves to be a classic. It still holds up. It's still so watchable. So let's examine something that I do want to talk about. Why is it then that... No one has ever been able to recapture it. Because Hollywood has tried. Now, there's never been an official direct sequel. And that may be part of the issue. If you do an Oz project, you don't get to use the songs. You don't get to use the uh, the images. You don't get to use the character designs. Uh, that's pretty much, that's pretty bound up with uh, Turner and uh, Warner Brothers. You don't have those rights. Yeah. Those rights do not belong to anybody else. You mean MGM? Uh, Warner Brothers actually owns the rights now. Warner Brothers? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, t- Even though it was... Yeah, it was an MGM, MGM back in the day. Back in the day, but it's it's a Warner Brothers-owned production. Um, huh. Yeah. They bought MGM's video library many, many decades ago, actually. Uh, well, I think Ted Turner bought the uh, video library, and then when Turner was bought... Yeah, and then when Turner was bought... So, yeah, so th- there's some convoluted legal rights there. Uh, but distribution, and of course, MGM no longer really exists as we know them. Uh, they're kind of stumbling along. Um, like, their only thing that they've got that matters, the Bond series, um, most likely is going to go to another studio with the next film. Uh, it's widely thought Sony will probably not get the rights back. 
you know, because Sony has been what's been distributing them. Of course, that distribution deal looks like it's about to fall through. Uh, it's widely felt that Sony will uh, that it'll that those rights will go elsewhere. But again, the rights to everything that's so classic belong to Warner Brothers, and they're really not doing anything with the property. They don't want to. I mean, you they they're not they're not interested in doing a remake because it just wouldn't do them any good. You can't really remake it. They're not interested in doing a sequel because, you know, you can't do a sequel. That would really work. I mean, that'd be like trying to do a sequel to Mary Poppins or something. And that's a stupid idea. It is a very stupid idea. What the hell, Disney? Just, what the hell? Wait, they're considering doing that? They're doing it. It's going to happen. They're they're casting now. Why? I don't know. I mean, can I just point out that... uh, that uh, Julie Andrews won an Oscar for playing that role. Hate to break it to you, that's not a part that's recastable. Um, I, I love Emily Blunt. I think she's an amazing actress. She's not. She's not Julie Andrews. Okay. Just a reminder that Julie Andrews is still very much alive. Yeah, I mean, I think and kicking. If you had to do a sequel, I would be okay with actually maybe dealing with an aged Mary Poppins, like. I know she's, you know, not in the best of health, and I know she can't really sing, but I would be okay. I just, oh, that's just such a bad idea. But again, what you've had, what you've gotten over the years instead of actual sequels is, I think, now I will say this, I think that the animated series in the early 90s did have the rights to some of the uh, MGM properties, but that's it. Like, I think that may have been the one time that you got any of those rights. But what you've gotten instead are a number of spinoffs. And, you know, because the rights to Bomb's novels are out there. So you've got a number of uh, ripoffs. For example, uh, you've got uh, Wicked, of course, is a prime example. Gregory Maguire did a, a trilogy of novels uh, that got adapted into a musical. Uh, the music has become well-known in its own right. Again, I don't think it's all that good. I feel like a lot of that musical success is attributable to its cast, but more than its pro- than its material. Just saying. Famously, in the early 80s, you got Return to Oz. The extremely dark, extremely unsettling, and pretty admirable, really, um, attempt at a sequel that Disney did. I have not seen it, but I've heard a lot about it. It's actually pretty good. It's, it's actually pretty good. Um, it's, it's definitely kind of twisted. It's definitely kind of dark. The designs are different. I mean, it's it's different, but it's good. I, I, I at least respect it. I at least think it's ambitious. I've seen a lot of uh, childhood trauma uh, lists. Yeah, <laughs> it, it belongs there. It's, it's directed by the editor of uh, Apocalypse Now. Do I really need to say much more? <laughs> really? Yes, it is. That's the, the only film Walter Murch ever directed, uh really probably a lost cinema hmm. but i mean i at least admire that film i at least admire it for its guts and for the fact that it does draw on some of the, the other lore that uh, bomb created you have the whiz of course that's one of the few that's been very successful uh, you you had the the 1970 movie uh, directed by sydney lumet and written by joel schumacher seriously the whiz was written by joel schumacher uh, he, he wrote the movie version yeah <laughs> yeah he did Wow. Interesting. That's a mixed reaction movie. I've heard good. I've heard bad. I mean, I think it's okay is the best way of putting it. Um, Yeah. 
it's a nice it's a nice idea it's just not all that well executed frankly Dorothy is made wait now we talk about Dorothy being too old in in the 39 movie oh my god she's way too old for the uh you know she's a school teacher in that that doesn't work really there's a there's a lot of choices that are made that don't work in that movie you uh, had the recent live version which was extremely well received live version yeah they did a live version of it on uh, NBC that was extremely well received really yeah earned great response by all accounts the actors did a great job the music was good apparently it's a hell of a production and that's i think that might even be on netflix um i've heard that was great when was that uh last year last year i think last november really i heard great on it that's pretty cool yeah i remember there was a time like i don't know late 90s early 2000s where live productions on tv were uh a craze Ah, uh, that's very much one right now. Uh, th- that's very much something they're doing right now. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I mean, there I saw a good one of On Golden Pond. Yeah, that's very much something that's going on right now with live musicals, and they're they're very successful right now. Uh, right. So you know, you yeah, you have to admire that. Um, you've had countless parodies over the years. Too many to list. Let's just acknowledge that they're all out there. And then we've got the Sam Raimi-directed Oz the Great and Powerful, probably the most ambitious attempt at trying to do an Oz story on screen. Yet, that isn't the 39 movie. (sighs) This, Having read the book, yeah, it does draw, again, a lot from the book, which is, (sighs) yeah, for reasons stated, you know, they can't use certain things from the film. Like, the ruby slippers are a trademark of the film yeah because they were they were silver in the book but silver wouldn't look good in color so you can tell that they are trying hard as hell to work around all that yeah like the china people are that is people made of china are from the book but they're not like that yeah (laughs) there's a flying monkey who's a major character yeah and yeah the monkeys are actually um cognizant in the yeah, book as they are in this movie they they only they only obey the witch because she has a magic hat that will grant her three uses of the monkeys the movie does lift a number of devices for example it's in uh black and white until it arrives in oz and then it becomes color it starts in like the classic um box format for film it's it's uh, the original cinema ratio and then it becomes yeah, widescreen uh in oz it's a nice touch. Uh, it's a nice touch. It's pretty good 3D. It's a good looking movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's Sam Raimi directing. You have to figure it's going to look good. Spider-Man 3 looked great. Just a goddamn mm. shame about the script. And boy, that's... <laughs> this is terrible. It's re- this is a reasonably well-acted film. Uh, the performances are pretty good. James Franco is actually a lot of fun as Oz. So can I really start to talk about why I really have issues with this movie? Yeah. This dude. movie is so blindingly sexist, it hurts. She's only evil because she was spurned. Uh-huh. It reveals that the Wicked Witch of the West only turned evil because she was spurned by a man, and even then she wasn't really spurned by him. Her sister tricked her. He would have yeah. spurned her because he's an asshole, but... Oh god, that's 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 a that's a problem this movie does not get over um at all. That is such a horrible explanation for why the wicked witch became evil. It's terrible. That happens and then she turns green and uh 
that's when all that happened. Because Envy, get it? Yeah. <laughs> that was the other thing that's really stupid. And it's really a shame because Mila Kunis does a fine job in the role. I mean, as she always does, she's a good actress. I expect her to do good work. I mean, like, when she's going full evil, she's having fun and she's giving a good performance. Again, she's a good actress. I expect this. Um, I'm, I'm glad to see that she had a pretty good-sized hit uh, this uh, summer with uh, Bad Moms. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that did really well. Oh, my God, though. This movie, the I, the fact that that's the idea. Oh, and uh, eventually uh, Glinda, eventually uh, the wizard uh, seduces Glinda. That's one thing that happens in this movie. Yeah. There is just so much wrong with this movie. I mean, this movie has three exceptional actresses in it. Uh, Kunis, uh, Rachel Weisz, and Michelle Williams. And it wastes all three of them. It's just, uh, this is a this is a movie with some serious issues. I don't know. And it's very predictable. It's very familiar. I don't think it's necessarily a god-awful film. I don't. But you can't get over that plot tumor. That's a terrible explanation for your villain. You have to have a good explanation for your villain. And also, that goes against one of the fun things about The Wizard of Oz, period, is that it's a story of a young girl who is strong, and who fights back, and who succeeds in her own victories. And this really counters that. It does, and it's it's not a good thing. So, yeah, I, this movie, I think, really underlines that you can't replicate the success. The 39 production was such a disaster of production, but I really think that was kind of the lightning in a bottle that they captured. That, yeah, it was a difficult shoot, but it was a great movie. And you can't go back and then have it the other way. Yeah, ugh, thinking about that just makes me mad. But, yeah, bringing up a great point that the underlines is, you know, one of the things that's always kind of captured my imagination about this movie is how many generations has endured like i know my niece and nephew were being introduced to uh have been introduced to wizard of oz and they love it and it's like what what is it about this movie that i don't think any other movie can claim to have endured so much like so long as this one oh no i don't think it's so at all i think this is the most timeless this is as timeless as it gets i don't even i mean i don't think gone with the wind is going to endure as long because Oh, God, that movie has so many problems. <laughs> Racism. Racism. Sexism. Oh, oh God, that God. movie has so many issues. A rape scene that is completely glossed over. This movie doesn't have that. And I think that's going to what. That's why I think this movie is ultimately going to be the most timeless film of all time, easily. You know, I say that, and it's like what sets us apart from other movies that have uh, endured since, like, Citizen Kane or blah, blah, blah. They can. You know, anyone can say, oh yeah, well, I haven't seen Sissy Kane, or it's not my cup of tea, or whatever. You know, it's great among film buffs, and, well, people that generally like film. Wizard of Oz is like, no, this this permeates everything. This, like, uh, even if even if you personally don't like it, you can't deny that you haven't seen it and or know the story intimately. It, it permeated our culture is what it did. And, and it did so in a way that very few films have ever done. Um... I just, I don't know. I mean, this is a unique film. It's a rare film in cinema history. And, yeah, I think it's because it's a simple story. It's always going to endure. And it's always going to be there to capture our imagination. Which is some comfort. Yeah, and I think that's that's the magic of it. So, those are my thoughts on the film. 
Yeah, same. I don't think there's much more that needs to be said. It's just, it's iconic. Uh, it will endure for the rest of human history. You can find us on our blog at thefilmroom.podbean.com. Uh, as always, you can find us our side blog, where we have so much going on. Yeah, thefilmroomlobby.wordpress.com. You can tweet at us. Uh, I am at PermanentManPRD. Austin is at UntitledUser. And we, as a collective, are at FilmRoomCast. And, of course, Harold Ragsdale, who is busy these days. I just dropped some fun hints yesterday on that feed. Nice. I'm about to start uh, firing up the stories of what happened. Believe me, the gap that just occurred is not accidental. Yeah. That was a fun production, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. But yeah, he is at Cybergun Films, Harold Ragsdale. Follow that feed, guys. You will not regret. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thefilmroom. Email us. We are filmroompodcast at gmail.com. We, we we love getting emails, we love getting feedback, we love getting suggestions. A good way to guarantee that your suggestion, or that we do your suggestion, is to donate to our Patreon! Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have we have a little system set up there. We have patreon.com slash thefilmroom. Uh, uh, Thomas is so primed to do God's yeah. Not Dead 2. Guys, we're going to get there before the end of the year, just so you all know. That's definitely going to happen, no matter what. But make it happen faster. Yeah, please, just just donate. We want a website. We want our own little media empire, as the the goal suggests. Aw, Lola just woke up. Aw. She has good timing, that one. She's stretching. She's yawning. (laughs) We'd like to thank our patrons. Thank you, Sean from Notoli, Nathan, and Bridget, Daisy, Sheila. Thank you all so much for your continued support. See you over the rainbow. All right. Drops away above the chimney tops That's where you